Hello and welcome back to the Brandon Doorless Podcast. This is Charlie, <laughs> joined by Reed, and the Ducks got their second biggest win of the season. It's pretty easy to say that at this point. Um, over the mighty UCLA Bruins yesterday. Reed, first of all, like before we get into it at all, um, how do you feel about this win? Did you enjoy watching this game? Yes, I enjoyed I I particularly enjoyed the second quarter and the third quarter and most of the fourth <laughs> quarter or a part of the fourth quarter. Um first quarter I I honestly didn't enjoy too much shockingly. Uh but overall, man, they pulled it out, right? They definitely did. Um at times it looked like we were about to get blown out. At times it looked like we were about to blow them out. Uh, neither of those things ended up happening, but um, both teams made enough plays to lose the game eventually. So, um, <laughs> you know, it was a classic. It was a Pac-12 classic. I think it's safe to say. Uh, and we'll we'll talk about a little bit later. We'll touch on like what this means for the Ducks uh, in context of the conference race and probably not the national race because I don't I don't really know if much has changed there but um overall i mean super entertaining game super nerve-wracking as well yeah um this game was back and forth like you said i mean it was a bunch of changes in emotion each team had a blocked or fumbled punt uh each team had (laughs) some turnovers um Oregon almost got a few more turnovers out of DTR. Uh, that would have been, you know, big. A couple forced fumbles there on sacks. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a roller coaster of a game. And like you said, it looked like it was early. It looked like we didn't really, you know, have a chance almost. And then it looked like we were fully in control. And then it looked like it was going to be a Stanford situation 2.0. Um, but it worked out in the end, right? It did eventually work out in the end. And I mean, we always, we always have to throw this stat out kind of at the top at this point. Post-game win percentage um, was Oregon 80% based on all the available stats. Once again, like the ESPN stats are all screwed up from this game. Um, I, I, I won't even go into what the nitty-gritty of it is, but um, it's pretty unreliable. It's very annoying. Anyways, Oregon played a great game in some aspects. And I mean, at the same time, some of those, well, actually, okay. What I'm going to say is like some of our best moments from this game from certain position groups were also highlighted by just absolutely terrible moments. So I want to identify like what were the most consistently good moments in this game for the Ducks um, or position groups, sorry, in this game for the Ducks. My instinct says, like, defensive line has to be the first one, right? I mean, this, this D-line was totally dominant. Um, I thought we saw, you know, very quickly, I thought we saw a couple good things from quarterback. But obviously, we'll, you know, there were <laughs> problems with that as well. Um, our running backs, I think, were very consistent. Uh, wide receivers, maybe, you know, they had a lot of good plays, but a lot of pretty bad well a couple really bad ones as well um mm-hmm. uh, what else secondary was kind of as we expected i think and obviously they didn't, they didn't let up plays. yeah they came up with some big plays and they didn't let up any big ones either um and mm-hmm. obviously i think that 
you know, McHale's kind of a known commodity at this point, and he had another pretty good game. Um, you know, not maybe his best, but but pretty good. But I think the big story in the secondary was obviously DJ James. He gets two yeah. interceptions, um, at, including the one to seal it off, as we know. But he was solid in coverage all night, really. Um, and when DJ's playing at that level next to McHale, this secondary really goes up to, you know, another notch. Um, and DJ's an interesting guy. I, I tweeted this out uh, just before we started recording, but I think, you know, DJ is a real sign of Oregon's recruiting success because some people might not remember, but he's a guy who's from Alabama. Um, and Saban and Alabama went in hard on him in the kind of 11th hour of his recruitment um, and were literally calling him up on signing day. He was supposed to be at the podium at his high school announcing he's not there. It looks like it's kind of a D'Anthony Thomas situation where he's going to flip to Alabama last second. Uh, and he stuck with Oregon. The Ducks win out barely. And that's what we see, you know, when you get, when you win battles with other with an Alabama for a defensive back, um, those players are usually pretty good. And DJ was that yesterday for sure. Um, also, I mean, there were a couple moments where, you know, the secondary would allow UCLA to get back in the game a little bit. Um, but again, no big plays was kind of the highlight there. Um, I think they played overall, they, they played a pretty consistent game. Um, and then here's something, uh, kind of the first position group I want to focus on, really, linebackers. Um, mm -hmm. This is obviously, you know, if you count KT as a linebacker, like technically he's an outside linebacker or whatever. We're talking about inside linebackers here, specifically Noah Sewell and whoever's right next to him. And in this game, <laughs> I think we might have gotten an answer as to who our clear-cut number two inside linebacker is. Did we not? 100 percent um we were just talking about this before we started recording but you look at the snap counts per pff jeff bossa gets 61 snaps in this game next up you have nate hukalani at 25 and then keith brown at two for that number two linebacker spot noah sewell puts in 89 snaps um, <laughs> ridiculous the amount he is playing for this defense but yeah bossa was really solid today um he you know he, he wasn't he wasn't elite he wasn't Noah Sewell obviously um it's not quite that but he was a very serviceable option at linebacker and that was something that the Ducks needed going into this game because of the threat that we thought that Zach Charbonnet would pose on the ground um and in part thanks to Bossa being a solid contributor um the Ducks were able to neutralize that. I mean, obviously aided by an amazing performance by that interior D-line. Uh, but they ultimately hold UCLA to 2.4 yards per rush. It, an insane, mm -hmm. you know, you talk about a padlock stat. I mean, that that's as good as it that gets, really. That was our really. padlock stat, baby. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so Boss is really good. Uh or at least really impressive for being a freshman safety who's converting to linebacker. And mm -hmm. I think it's especially big because Oregon gets past this test and now, you know, what do they have circled? They have a game against Utah 
and they especially have that you know final game against Oregon State, which builds their it's team more on the run every week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you had if we if we go in there without a real second linebacker, it's going to be tough to hold up against that Beavers running attack all year, all all game. We saw what happened last year when we struggled to tackle. So mm-hmm. I think Bossa is improving week by week, um, and he has the potential to get even better. Obviously, as he just learns the position and grows physically, um, and so you, if you sure up that position, that puts you in a great spot to win close games in this conference against teams that like to run the ball, which a lot of the good ones do. It feels like. Yeah, definitely. Um, also worth noting. I mean, at this point, we're used to seeing Noah Sewell with double-digit tackles every single week. He didn't have to get there this week because uh, some guy named Kayvon Thibodeau helped out with nine of his own, um, and Noah had nine <laughs> as well. So it definitely takes the weight off a little bit. And again, with Bossa, like, he just makes Noah's job easier by virtue of being another good linebacker. So, um, And don't get me wrong, like Noah had a great game as well. Uh, he had that key pass deflection. I want to say it was on a third down. Um, mm-hmm. And, I mean, obviously having big tackles all over. Jeff Bossa had that huge third down stop. Uh, I can't can't remember if it was Charbonnet or Britton Brown carrying it, but totally stuffed the guy, and then KT yeah. helped him help move it back. So um, just big yeah, plays all around from the defense. Just to, just to meet a guy in the hole like that um, on mm-hmm. first contact and not have him push you over, you know, you're, you're both delivering power to each other and – the running back's head doesn't move forward after the contact. It's it's stonewalled, and KT comes in and cleans it up, like you said. Um, but that's awesome from a true freshman, let alone a true freshman who was signed as a safety or nickel yeah. prospect. Well, and started um, playing as a safety. Like right, <laughs> he didn't move over to linebacker until Mathis and Flo went down, which is right. just crazy to think about. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and and also on Sewell, I think um, one of the things that doesn't show up, at least on the regular stat sheet, is just I think he made it so uncomfortable for DTR all game. Whenever DeRuder sends him on one of those blitzes, (laughs) Sewell just is coming in there with bad intentions, and even if he doesn't get the sack, he's getting there a half second later or less and delivering some punishment. so he was he was so big for this Oregon team all night for sure. Oh yeah. Um, all right. Well, now we got to talk about the defensive line because we have not mentioned Brandon Norris's name more than once yet on this podcast <laughs> episode, at least. Um, this guy was a beast. The entire D line was a beast. It was very obvious um, who was winning on like pretty much every play in the fourth quarter. Uh, it's funny, like, as the offense slowed down and got worse, the defense kind of got better uh, at some points. And, I mean, even on that, that final drive and even the couple drives before, before it for UCLA, <laughs> I mean, I almost felt bad for their offensive linemen, like, especially uh, the right tackle, number 70. They were just lining them up one-on-one with KT, like, every time. Uh, now, KT himself got worn down a little bit, but um, when you have a defensive line that, uh, literally takes quarterback out of the game due to the amount of times you're hitting him. Um, that's that's an X factor. That's definitely a game changer. 
Um, and KT obviously being the face of that, uh, even even if he curses in his post game interviews. Um, but Dorlis <laughs> had a great game. I think Keon Ware Hudson obviously. Popo Mave is a guy who had one of his best games maybe ever uh, for Oregon. Um, it was just a dominant def- dominant performance by the defensive line in this game. Yep, absolutely. And and they said it on the broadcast um, that that UCLA has a case for the best offensive line in the conference, uh, mm-hmm. or at least that was the perception going into it. You know, the, I mean, none of the O-lines on this conference are elite, but UCLA's has been pretty good this year. And Orkin definitely didn't make them look that way. Um, they, I mean, what else can you say? They absolutely controlled it, and all those guys you mentioned were instrumental in that. Yeah, definitely. Um, since we're on the defense, a couple other guys. Jamal Hill kind of had another inconsistent game, I think. Um but he did have a couple important tackles as well. Steve Stevens was getting his nose in there in the first half quite a bit. Uh, he finished with four tackles. Um, even guys like, I mean, we talk about Christian Williams a lot of the time too. He didn't get a ton of snaps in this game, but obviously he had a couple big plays. Brian Addison is somebody we saw playing safety. He got nine reps at safety this game, mm-hmm. so that, that's kind of interesting. Um, yeah, one, one other personnel note. Uh, well, two interesting ones, I guess, were, were guys that we've seen play a, a decent bit in this defense who didn't play. Uh, mm-hmm. DJ Johnson had one snap on defense. Uh, obviously, he's been almost exclusively there. He played a bit more at tight end, I believe. Uh, and then also, really interestingly, is is at least with what I'm looking at, at P- from PFF, and I kind of noticed this during the game as well, I don't think Triquez Bridges played. Uh, and no, that comes a, a week after he basically split reps with DJ James, who went out at the end of that Cal game. Um, so I can only assume that maybe there's some light injury or, or who knows, but didn't have him in the secondary. And uh, you wouldn't have really known that the Ducks were missing that key piece based on how they played. Um, obviously, DJ again stepped up. He played 93 snaps, tied for the most of anyone, I think, with Verone. With Verone. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that's every single snap. It might be. Maybe there was one or two that each of those guys took out. But that's big time for a guy in DJ who hasn't been playing every snap, mostly. Um, mm-hmm. He's been playing a, g- a good chunk of them. He's the starter. But he's the guy who we've rotated Dante Manning in for or Triquez in for a decent bit. Um, and I think that speaks to how well he was playing. He was big time. Um, and you, I mean, you can't give him enough credit in that moment when the game is, is really up in the balance. They're driving even with Garbers in there. Uh, it was a nerve wracking thing. And we saw earlier in the day, how crazy things can get in an overtime period. Um, with the new rules, you don't want to even have them hit a field goal. So Mm-mm. DJ stepped up, made a big play, jumped around. Um, that was just so awesome to see. Yeah, definitely. Uh, by the way, those 93 snaps are, uh, from the other numbers I have in front of me, it seems like that was every defensive play from mm-hmm. scrimmage, um, which is just kind of insane to think about considering – it's a great point. Like you said, we were sort of assuming Triquez was like about to take over that number two corner spot. Um, 
and now, I mean, I don't know how you can't have DJ out there as sort of the number two um, heading forward. But anyways, um, you mentioned Mikhail. I'll throw out a couple other names. Mace Funa, you know, gets injured playing edge. Got to br- rotate in Adrian Jackson and Braden Swinson a little more. Swinson almost had one of the plays of the game, um, tipping that ball on fourth down on the final drive. Uh, somehow it still made it to the receiver. Um, yeah, man, we'll, we'll go through some of that, but exactly, there were so, yeah. so many times where UCLA was surviving in that comeback attempt by the skin of their teeth. Like yeah. literally if Swinson's hand is just, a, I mean, he, it hits his thumb. Like yeah, if it just yeah. hits his thumb a little bit more, the pass is like batted down and the game's over. Um, yeah, yeah, they were surviving by inches and DTR so many times on the outside, uh, especially on that fourth down with, I think yeah. you have Adrian Jackson and Verone there. And Verone, they're all, yeah. They're all and running. Jackson missed on another one, 1v1 yeah. to, for the touchdown. Yeah. yeah, and it's like, it, it's I mean, credit to DTR for staying up, but like the ground slipping and both ducks lose control and DTR just is able to plant and pivot and get there when it mm-hmm. looked like another turnover was so close to happening. Yeah, man. Um, so yeah, when Funa goes out, uh, Trevin May comes in, he had a pretty good game, uh, only a few snaps, but still graded out pretty highly actually, according to PFF. Um, yeah. and then I mentioned Swinson and Jackson, both, both had interesting games. Um, mm-hmm. all right. So do you want to, I, I think the best way to approach this game is just to dig into the drive chart a little bit and like yeah um, remind ourselves b- how this happened before we do that we should also we've kind of looked at the offense or the defensive snap counts a lot i That's just want to brush over a, f- a few offensive ones as well um first off at wide receiver uh we saw Devin williams a fair amount and that's borne out in the snap counts he led the team with 50 snaps this game johnny johnson at 44 Mike at 34, Red at 27, Chris Hudson at 19, Troy at 11. Um, Mm -hmm. So those are the six that are playing for Oregon right now. And it's nice to see more and more that Devin Williams is starting to be treated like a wide receiver one. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's literally what I said on the last podcast, not to, you know, take too much credit, but (laughs) Devin Williams, Johnny Johnson, and a mix of Micah and Jay Red in the slot makes a lot of sense to me. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, Devin Williams was really good. I mean, especially that one play was really nice where AB throws has a free play, throws up the jump ball, and Devin Williams just makes a play um, on a 50-50 ball that was a free play. Uh, and, you know, even though AB threw that interception late um, and it was a bad decision completely, it was cool to see at least, you know, a silver lining was, okay, he's trying to make a play with a deep pass more than he should be, as mm-hmm. opposed to in the past what we've seen is he's so hesitant to take those shots. Um, unfortunately, it ended up in a really bad pick. I'm not, you know, it was a bad play in that situation, but at least I think it spoke to the fact that AB was a little more willing to take some of those shots this game. Um, I'm going to pull up the running back, uh, 
real quick, numbers. I want to do uh, I want to do tight end real right before that. Mm. Um, yeah, go for lots it. of lots of rotation at tight end in this game. It was very interesting. Uh, Terrence Ferguson leads with nineteen. Uh, Matavao had sixteen snaps. Uh, DJ Johnson thirteen, and then as you mentioned, only one defensive snap. So pretty much looks like he's moved back over to tight end, uh, or at least did in this game. And then Spencer Webb with twelve. Um, if you mm-hmm. asked me at the beginning of the year, I probably would have listed those in the exact opposite order in terms of who's going to get the most snap counts. Um, and this is one game, and those margins are all very thin. But I don't know. I just thought that was very interesting that both freshmen had uh, more snap counts than both the upperclassmen in this game. And they yeah. all played pretty well, too, um, in blocking most of all. I think Ferguson and Matavao were the only guys to catch pass. No, Webb had a catch as well. Um, but even then, yeah, each of those three guys only had one catch. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's super interesting. Um, if, and if you look at running back, uh, just really quickly, die takes the majority of the snaps. Uh, he has 58 freshman Cardwell has five McGee has four, but, um, McGee had a, you know, two good plays. He had an 11 yard run and an 11 yard catch. Uh, and just philosophically, this game was interesting in the fact that uh, Moorhead just decided that we were going to pass the ball a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and it ended up working out. I think that's what you had to do uh, against this UCLA defense. I mean, that was where they were weak, at least. And it did show some more trust in AB to get that done. Um, Die, we all know the deal with the four consecutive carries for a touchdown. Uh, he was big when he needed to be. He was big punching it on the goal line, and those aren't, you know, give me points always. It, it can be hard, especially to pass in that point when the defense is also compressed and uh, die just sliced through them every time and got it done when he needed to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you look at the O-line, that was really interesting as well. Um, Oregon starts this game out with Moore and Jaramillo both sitting. Mm -hmm. Uh, They put Bass out at left tackle, which was really interesting. We've talked before about them having some issues in pass pro at left tackle um, with Moore before. And so it was interesting that they're now putting their best player out there um, to kind of help with that. Uh, They slide Jackson Powers Johnson into guard. Mm-hmm. He plays pretty well, um, much better in pass block than run block, according to PFF. But overall, I thought he was solid, and I was excited about that. Unfortunately, he goes down. Um, Jeremil comes in there for a while uh, and, and plays a bit overall. Uh, and then Moore comes in at halftime, which was interesting. Yeah, Kind of suggests that maybe there's a was a minor suspension or something. I don't know, usually just when you see someone out for an entire half or entire quarter and then they come in and play a decent amount the rest of the way, it suggests mm-hmm. something like, you know, they were late to a meeting or whatever, uh, and Chris Ball it takes those things seriously and sometimes holds someone out for a limited amount of time. Um, but Moore actually was really improved. I, uh, You know, I said last week I think he had a 0.0 grade in pass blocking, Mm-hmm. This week he had an 83, which is really good, yeah. actually. Yeah. Really good. Highest on the team. So um, that was good. The unit overall of the O-line really stepped up. Forsyth ruled yeah. out right before the game. Again. Um, again. <laughs> and, straight game. 
they stepped up even though they couldn't establish the run. They, for the most part, kept AB clean and uh, had a really good performance. Yeah, didn't, definitely didn't let UCLA do what Oregon's front seven was doing to the UCLA O-line all game. Mm -hmm. You know, that was a stark difference yeah, and between I'm, the two lines of scrimmage. Yeah, and again, with the amount of rotation that we've had throughout the year, it's definitely paying dividends at this point. Um, I'm, I can't remember if we were critical of that or not, but it's something that a lot of people were. You know, guys like to see the, the same five out there, and those are kind of your established starters. Well, we're seeing why the other strategy of just rotating the hell out of people uh, pays off because you never know who's going to go down. You never know who's going to be unavailable. And so um, it was really good to see that sort of overall consistency continue even with a guy like uh, Jackson Powers Johnson, who's been great this year, going out in what was up to that point a starting role. Um, yeah, I think overall this O-line is just really gelling a lot now. Um, mm -hmm. I think we so took that for granted um, in 2019 when we had a unit of guys who had been together forever. And plus we added in you know, the best lineman in the country, Penn A. Yeah. Um, and so then, you know, last year was obviously very up and down in terms of offensive line performance. And the start of this year could be shaky at times too. Uh, but I think this game was a time when they settled in and hopefully that is a trend that continues as we move forward. That would be nice, wouldn't it? That, that would really <laughs> be nice. Um, because the offensive line was so good, uh, first of all, let me see. Yeah, one sack and only three tackles for loss for UCLA in the entire game, whereas our defense forced four sacks and 11 tackles for loss. Um, as I was saying, the it, it gave Brown a little more room to operate, I think. Even so, I think he got happy feet a couple times in the pocket. Obviously, on the first interception, I, I think that's a pretty obvious one. There were other times where it seemed like he didn't, maybe trust his line as much as he should be uh, and really felt the need to escape the pocket. Um, but that leads me to say, uh, AB can fucking run. We haven't seen it a lot from him this year, or at least maybe is not as much as we should have been because this dude is a legitimate threat on the ground. We saw it with the touchdown. We saw it with numerous like conversions. Um, he, I mean, it's, in itself, it's a threat. Like, you saw the option play to McGee that paid dividends on third down. Like, mm -hmm. AB was, we'll wait, we'll hold off for a second on his passing game. Uh, six carries for 85 yards and a touchdown. That's pretty damn good for a quarterback. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. In a game where Oregon couldn't establish much else in the run game, uh, mm -hmm. or at least didn't choose to, I mean, you know, Dye only carried it 14 times, and I would guess that the majority of those were within the red zone. Um, so, you know, the Ducks needed to get some yards on the ground, and Brown has 85, while the rest of the team has a total of uh, 46. So that's that's a big that's a big split for your quarterback to hold that many rushing yards, and you know he deserves credit for that. Definitely. Um, another thing I want to point out is that, uh, I mean, you mentioned that the Ducks threw more than they ran. I mean, the splits on it is 36% rush. That's it. 
And yeah. for, for a game that coming in, we felt like we had to just control the line of scrimmage and, you know, set the pace. If we outrush UCLA, that'll be the key to winning. We were just like, you know what? I mean, apparently the coaches backed up what they said about AB, really, saying that he gives us the best chance to win the game. I mean, not even necessarily with his feet, but you see on that first drive, the scripted drive, it's just, um, it's opens up with two passes to Johnny Johnson on the first two plays from scrimmage. Um, you get a Travis Dye run, another pass to Johnny Johnson. Uh, throw another pass, and then uh, two more runs before um, there's the uh, the drive stalls a little bit. It, I don't know. I just thought it was very interesting that 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 was the game plan coming in. You know, it mm-hmm. wasn't an adjustment that was made sometime during the game. Um, it wasn't a. Uh, I don't know. They they very explicitly were okay with passing the ball early and often. And I mean, props to them, I guess, because it worked out. Uh, I, I point back to that first drive again, and I, I realize we're kind of getting into the chart already, but. Um, Which is fine. We can move there. Yeah. yeah, we can move there. And so, you know, UCLA scores on their first possession, pretty consistent drive. Oregon comes back. We get it down into UCLA territory fairly quickly. Um, and then it stalls. You have a second and seven in completion. Uh, third and seven, Brown gets away for five yards. And then Die gets stuffed for one yard, which it, was this the one where they called it a first down when it very clearly yeah. was a first? Yeah. That was yeah, really interesting. Called it and then took it back. That was weird. It, it seemed like the chains just were put out the wrong way or something. Um, and But yeah. Yeah. yeah in that, a sport that, where you have lines every one yard on the field and they all line up with each other, it seems really weird that we're still measuring with sticks. But whatever. Right. Um, like, yeah. use your eyes, I guess. I don't know. Uh, it seems like we can automate this by now. It turns out okay, though, because DTR throws a pick on the next play. Um, <laughs> which, yeah, which is all doorless, really, coming in with the pass rush. Yep. Hits his arm in the throwing motion. And then, obviously, DJ James is big in terms of his awareness there. Just, you know, sees a ball come out weird and identifies, his, identifies it and goes, okay, I can get there and make this play. Sure hands, gets it. Um, and, you know, even though it was a wobbly pass that was pretty much right to DJ James or close to him, so many DBs in those moments, you know, just lack the composure to actually secure the interception. Uh, and those turnovers are huge in how a game goes. So it was, you know, credit to DJ James for actually coming up with it. Yeah. And I mean, in football, momentum is everything, right? And the momentum mm-hmm. shifted like three or four times just in these opening minutes, um, yeah. at least in the first quarter. Like, again, you had UCLA with a pretty pretty consistent, uh, what was it, 12, 13 play drive to start things off. Um, yeah, and it's a scripted drive from Chip Kelly. You know, it, it, I, I probably should have seen that coming a little more. Um, I think, I don't know, it's easy to say that in hindsight, but I wasn't really defense, worried when I saw that. Yeah. Thing. And this defense has given up those drives all year um, in the first quarter. They've always kind of had a drive like that where they don't put up as much resistance. And against a guy like Chip Kelly, who's so good at, you know, planning out a, a drive himself, mm-hmm. it 
it makes sense. So it, it wasn't something that should have been too worrisome. I agree with that. I think also part of the game plan for Chip was, I mean, keeping the ball with UCLA most of the time. Um, you see this opening drive. I mean, it took five minutes uh, to go yeah. 75 yards. Which isn't, I've been keeping up on whether this is regular uh, with Chip or not still at UCLA, but, um, you know, five-minute drives are usually a rarity for him, at least in his college offense. Certainly were at Oregon. Yeah. Um, so I mentioned, you know, we, we turn it over on downs. You know, UCLA's going crazy. They, they think they're about to take a 14-point lead. Uh, DTR throws the pick. And then we instantly go just backwards on this drive. Um, it, <laughs> it was honestly embarrassing. Um, you had the sack on the first play and then the false start from a wide receiver. I think it was Devin. Um, it's a three and out. UCLA gets the ball back. Um, on, a, on a blocked punt. On a blocked punt. <laughs> Punch it in. It's 14-0. And it's looking pretty grim to start off with. Uh, but this mm-hmm. drive, this next drive, was the key to the first half. I mean, if we don't, con- if we come up empty-handed here, this game can yep. get out of hand really quickly. And we haven't exactly seen the Ducks like. I mean, I guess we did against Cal and Stanford technically, but we really haven't overcome a ton of adversity being the losing team in this game uh, or, or Ye- this season. Yeah, I think that this to me just speaks about. I think you know. People talk about how important A.B. is for the offense, but that also plays into how well the defense plays because when this defense is rested and the offense sustains drives, they turn into an absolutely elite unit for Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, and we saw that in this game, you know. I mean, just a little preview of what we'll see. It's, it's a five-minute drive for Oregon, another five-minute drive, halftime, a three-minute drive, a two-minute touchdown drive, and during that entire time, the defense is playing really well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that you know when when Anthony Brown executes, Oregon's offense is able to sustain drives. But also when that happens, they're able to feed into the defense, um, get them some extra rest, and the defense is able to come out really fresh and look like one of the best defenses in the country, honestly. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I mean, after, after that 14-0, the touchdown to make it 14-0 by, uh, I believe it was Charbonnet on that one. No, sorry. This was the uh, DTR pass. Regardless, after that play, I mean, the defense was on the field for over, for almost 10 minutes for the rest of the half and gave up only three points um, in 28 plays, 27 plays from scrimmage Mm -hmm. that's that's pretty damn impressive um considering how much they had been run all over in the first on the first couple drives and again like obviously it's really just that first drive um after that like you force an interception okay you give up a 30 yard touchdown drive like you really can't do much about that um and then you almost force a fumble and recover it to end the half but instead you just force a field goal um, and then there was the misfield yeah. goal drive in there as well. So, yeah, and on that final drive too, obviously we have the big um, moment on the what fourth and six where there's the penalty uh, for Oregon on the um, 
when they've been yeah. when they're shouting move and their whole defensive line moves and it's called the delay of game because they're you know basically supposedly mimicking the quarterback's calls um and i think that it's pretty clear that that was the wrong call to me because one you see how absolutely livid Cristobal and Mirabal both get at the officials for it um and then Oregon continues to do that the rest of the game and they aren't called on it so I think that shows to me that the the officials realize that they made a mistake there but that call changes the entire drive it would have been a fourth and 11 that UCLA probably has to punt on uh, if mm -hmm. it's called a false start and said it's a fourth and one where they can just get a two yard rush and extend the drive to the Oregon 23. So that call was huge um, and really gave UCLA a chance to get three points when they shouldn't have. Um, luckily, Oregon, you know, steps up, mainly Kayvon steps up when they're at their 10 and gets a ridiculous sack and forced fumble that almost got the ball back for the Ducks with two seconds left. Mm -hmm. uh, but UCLA recovers and is able to kick it, yeah. Um, and there's some questions about, like, how that play ended at the half as well. Like, why did the clock stop at two seconds when they weren't able? Like, why was, wasn't the clock continuing to run after the recovered fumble? Some stuff like that. It, it kind of made sense to me. Like, I thought they just called a timeout um, once they recovered. Yeah. But I don't. It's questionable at best. I mean, it's pretty clear for those who weren't aware uh, that the Pac-12 reps are pretty much making this shit up as they go. Um, <laughs> but, okay, I want to zoom in real quick. Last thing about the first half. I want to zoom in on this 12-play touchdown drive by the Ducks um, mm -hmm. to make it, to tie up, to tie it up at 14 uh, before halftime and before that drive we were just talking about with UCLA. Um, it's an 80-yard drive. It's a nice mix between run and pass. Um, and again, this is like kind of the, this is a very, very Anthony Brown drive, if that makes a lot of sense. Um, so let's mm -hmm. just kind of go through it real quick. Uh, it starts off with the Brown rushes for eight, uh, completes it to red for six more. Then it's incompletion, kicks it out to die. It's third and one, or die for nine yards. Then we got third and one, and that's that option play with Seven McGee, who, I mean, you can't have two touches much better than Seven had today. Uh, I mean, I guess DeAnthony Thomas would have something to say about that <laughs> in the Rose Bowl, but um, <laughs> still point. a great game from Seven. Um, you have the pass to Troy Franklin. He targets Micah Pittman, doesn't get it. Like, again, spreading the ball around. This is what we've seen all year. He doesn't lock in on one guy. It's always, well... And if he does, it's checking down to the running back. But um, in general, like, you know, he spreads the ball around. Um, he has another pass complete to Johnny Johnson and then Seven McGee. And at this point, we're all the way down to the UCLA 30. It just feels like we're in business. Um, and again, how many designed runs have we seen so far in this entire drive? Like two, if you count the option? Very right. interesting. Um, UCLA is... Uh, there's the offside penalty that's a free play that gets intercepted, but doesn't matter. Um, and then it's that pass to Franklin to the four, and then Die punches it in from there. That is, <laughs> um, how many incompletions are there? One, two, three, four? Three, and then like the free play interception. That's an efficient drive right there. Um, you know, the 
he didn't have any back-to-back -back incompletions, which is usually what will kill a drive in general um, and happens quite often for A.B. in this offense. It just seemed like we were heating up and we knew what we were doing and we were out there to execute it. And no matter who was touching the ball, I mean, I said a lot of different names on that drive. It didn't matter. We were still there to punch it in. Um, and that, I think, is the blueprint for success for this offense going forward. It has to be. Head into halftime, down three, feeling a little bit cheated out by um, those three points at the end. But overall, I mean, you were satisfied with, with 14 to 17 after being down 14-0? Yeah, I felt a lot better than the end of the first quarter. Uh, I will definitely say that. I thought, you know, for me, I, going into this game, I mean, we talked about it. It was going to be a close game. We always knew that. Um, and so I was scared when they came out and played big. And I, at halftime, my mentality is just, okay, you know, whatever it is, we have a chance to get the ball going out at, at half and take control of this game and survive a big test in the Rose Bowl, you know, on the road against one of the better teams in this conference. So, what you know, whatever excuses or complaints you want to have, forget it because there's an opportunity right now to win this game. Mm -hmm. You got to do it. Um, and yeah, that, that's how I felt uh, about it. It was just one of those moments where it's okay, flush that stuff. We got it back, and now look at the opportunity we have. Look at how we played in that second quarter. We can beat UCLA here. Let's just do it. You know, and, and, and do um, not leave the game in the officials' hands. I mean, I think that right. was verbatim from Mario Cristobal on uh, yep. one show or another. Just, Classic Jimmy Johnson quote as well. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I loved that shout-out during the game. Um, probably the best 30 for 30, by the way, is the U. That, that's an awesome one. Anyways. Uh, four, four days in October has something to say okay, about that. Okay, okay, baseball guy. The SMU one's really good, too, the death penalty one. A lot of them are great. They really are, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, not to go down that hole too far. Um, Ducks come out, get the ball in the, to start the second half, instantly punch UCLA in the face. <laughs> Six-yard touchdown <laughs> drive. Um, we took command of this game on this drive. Uh, mm -hmm. There were zero incompletions on this drive from A.B., I mean, again, it was only six plays. Uh, it's pass to Micah. He gets the screen to Devin Williams for 16. Uh, another pass to Micah, even though it, it didn't net any yards. We have one misstep uh, on the penalty um, with a five-yard false start. And then A.B. hits Micah for 29 yards. Beautiful play. Um, UCLA also has that personal foul for targeting, which, I mean... I love this from Micah Pittman, like just yeah. beating people up even when they are literally targeting him. Um, it's yeah. very rare that you see a targeting penalty uh, and the guy who gets ejected ends up like on his ass at the end of the play or at the end of the hit. Yeah, yeah, and, and honestly, that was one of the best throws we've seen from AB all year. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It was a kind of a scary ball when it was released. There were some linebackers hanging out in front of it, right uh, but... He hit a dot right over him, big gain, uh, and was made even bigger by that 15-yard targeting penalty. But that was huge, huge throw from A.B. And, and he followed it up with another really good one to Chris Hudson to set them up mm -hmm. one yard from scoring. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good to see the kid from Compton getting a, uh, a 
very important reception down there. Couldn't quite get it in. Die punches it in on the next play. Boom, we're in business. 21-17. This game is looking good. If we keep playing this consistently, we're going to be just fine. What do we do? We keep playing great. Um, three and out for UCLA on the next drive, uh, including that Brandon Dorless sack eventually, even though he almost escaped, um, and a mm-hmm. couple incompletions. And then comes the fumbled punt. Um, UCLA is similar to Oregon in that if you give them enough opportunities to shoot themselves in the foot, they will at some point. Um, and this was definitely one of those points. Uh, shout out to Corbin Williams, by the way, central guy recovering the fumble. Uh, yeah. Huge play for him. Big special teams guy. And uh, really, really scary moment too when they when that flag goes yes. off. Uh, and and I mean, honestly, it was one of those the the guy's helmet comes off, and as they talked about on the broadcast, you probably could get a face mask there pretty easily on uh, Dante Manning, but they call it targeting review it and it turns out he didn't have any head-to-head contact so the ducks avoid it um i would have been really frustrated with the call regardless though i mean it 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 didn't affect the outcome of the play uh i think i felt like oregon deserved to have the ball and it would have been an absolute gut punch if because of you know a helmet coming off um ucla would have gotten a new set of downs and the ball rather than oregon getting it you know what 25 yards from scoring yeah um so thankfully they didn't call that ducks do get the ball again dante manning corbin williams a uh, big play there reminiscent of of brady breeze's play in mm-hmm. the rose bowl mm-hmm. um yeah it's awesome it was really great to see uh from 22 yards out the ducks don't have any problem punching it in um Michael Pittman had the big catch on this play for 10 yards on third and three. And yeah, man, it seems like we were in business. Even with the missed PAT, you know, who cares? We're up 10 and UCLA hasn't had any, I mean, with 8.52 left in the third quarter, UCLA hasn't had any positive offensive yards since like late in the second quarter. And our offense, I mean, at this point, AB is still without an incompletion in the entire second half. Um, and yep. when that happens, this offense seems pretty unstoppable. Um, yep. And no turnovers or anything like that either. Literally no negative plays for the offense this entire like half so far. Um, mm-hmm. UCLA get the ball back. They. <laughs> this is a really, really interesting drive. Um, they really tried to go back and establish the run on this drive. I mean, just looking at the chart, I think it's six straight run plays. Um, Maybe one of those was a pass that DTR escaped. I can't remember. But either way, I mean, Britton Brown, Britton Brown, Britton Brown, DTR run, Zach Charbonnet run. uh, And and that that fourth and two run from DTR is the exact one where he's on the edge and Verone and Ajax are both there in a great spot to make a play, and they just don't do it. And credit to DTR. I mean, yeah, he is yeah. a he's a slippery runner, and he got it done when he needed to. But this is when UCLA is they're on the ropes, uh, yes. you know, figuratively, and they're barely staying alive at this point. Yeah, I mean, if they miss this fourth down, they're going for it on their own thirty-three yard line. They're screwed if they don't get this first down. Um, yeah, 
but they do convert it. They try to go back to Charbonnet, and it's just not working. Like, this defense is holding firm. Um, they did have another first down to Kyle Phillips in there. And then it's the double false starts, and that basically kills their drive. Um, another incompletion leads to a fourth and 14, and then you have to punt, right? Um, so, again, mm-hmm. just this defense being absolutely dominant, I don't really know why UCLA didn't go back to passing it more in this situation because anytime they did it, it seemed to work for them. Um, again, like they were just getting these underneath plays and these small chunks of yardage that we've been seeing Oregon give up literally all year. Um, it seemed really odd that they went back to the run and really tried to use that to get back into the game. It's something we've seen Mario do time and time again. Uh, UW on the road, down two scores being a great example. You know, it can really kind of ground your offense and hit the reset button if you're able to run all over people for a drive. But UCLA UCLA couldn't do it. Uh, They punt the ball back to Oregon, and Oregon still looks like they're doing very well. Uh, Yeah, I I do want to say, too, that I think that, unfortunately... You know, you mentioning that brought up some past memories for me of of kind of I think that's one of Chip's flaws at Oregon as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, in particular, 2012 Stanford was a game where I remember us just trying to force the run so much um, and we just couldn't do it. You know, yeah. we couldn't establish it in that game uh, and Chip refused to move away from it. I think philosophically, he's so dedicated to you run the ball to set up shots exactly. in the passing game. Yeah. Uh, and if you can't run the ball, it just is like does not compute for him. He's like, we need to run the ball. Yeah. Uh, that That's the basis of the whole thing. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was 100% right. And Oregon, in this scenario, unlike 2012, thankfully, was the team who was stuffing uh, you know, the opposition's running attack at every turn. Um, so this next Oregon drive, once they get the ball back, at this point, for those at home, we're at <sighs> 3.13 left in the third. We have a 10-point lead on the road. UCLA still hasn't scored in the entire quarter. Um, 27-3 run. Oregon yep. smells blood right now in the water. Like, it, this game is about to be broken wide open, it feels yeah, like. Yeah, a touchdown in on my this mind. drive pretty much ends the game um even though like it does we do end up with this a better scenario than this later on it feels like we can just shut the door right here if we needed to um yeah especially a long drive you know if you take it yeah that if you take it the what 70 yards that it would have been yeah i mean it was uh, a terrible punt by ucla uh we got the ball at the 30 when they could have like put us in a corner um Mm -hmm. And, yeah, it it starts out fine, you know, two plays to a first down, uh, another good die run. And at this point, we're the ones establishing the run, right? We just talked about how we had been passing all over them. Travis Dye on on this drive gets two carries and 10 yards. Um, And then we have the Hudson fumble. Uh, Yeah. This was – I I really – I mean – I like Chris Hudson, right? I, I love him as a player. Yeah. He already had a big play in this game, getting it down to the one. Um, it was kind of a local homecoming-ish game for him. Um, and he's really he's shown us that he could be a super explosive player when he gets the ball in his hands. But 
hundred percent. Gotta hang on to the ball, man. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it, you know, it happened. The issue is just that it happened last week, uh, yes. and last week we were totally. You're totally willing to forgive him for it. He's young, but you know, in two big spots where you're really, you just have to be more careful than that. Whatever it is, and I get it's it you know, happens so fast and a defensive player just on a tackle happens to put their arm in the right place and dislodge that thing. But you just have to be more careful because that that play almost shifts this entire game. Mm-hmm. It really does, yeah. Um, and we'll talk about and what it, happens with UCLA on, the, on this next drive. But again, it's, it's Oregon shooting themselves in the foot, allowing the other team to come back. Yeah, and if it weren't for the defense stepping up on this next drive you know it would have been really bad where they have a chance here to cut it to uh to cut it to you know three points and they only have to drive 30 yards yep yep um all right so (laughs) this this next drive by ucla um again it just shows that this defense can change the game on its own. And this is one of the main arguments for KT for Heisman at this point is, uh, which by the way, I don't, I have different feelings about that than what I just said. But anyways, I mean, the three plays on this drive are (laughs) Charbonnet getting stuffed for a loss of one. Next play, Charbonnet getting stuffed for a gain of one. Next play, DTR gets sacked by Kayvon. Yep. Are you kidding me? <laughs> That's three wins in three plays, one of them being a sack. Um, mm-hmm. UCLA has to punt the ball away again. It's fourth and 18. This is not the fourth and 18 in which they go for it. Um, and at this point, this is how the fourth quarter starts, is Oregon getting the ball back with a 10-point lead in the same scenario we had just described. Um, and then, to start the fourth quarter, we seemingly close the case on this game, right? Um, (laughs) There's one incompletion from Brown, his first incompletion of the entire second half. Uh, But then the next two plays, we score a touchdown. Um, He gets to die for 19, and then Brown runs it himself for 43 yards for a touchdown. Uh, We've doubled him up, 34-17. This game should be over, right? Like, bust out the napkins. Um, (laughs) How did we let UCLA back in the game after this? Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, this was just... It's so... It's it's such a bittersweet thing, or or it's two-sided or whatever you want to use, because we dominated for two quarters so thoroughly. You go on a 34-3 run in a game, stretching two quarters. How do you allow that game to be competitive um and so yeah it points it points to how absolutely absurdly good this team is on one hand Mm -hmm. and then how you know infuriating they are when they just allow games to be close that have no need to be um Mm -hmm. and we'll go through the drives here for for how it actually happens that way but the context doesn't matter at a certain point. It's, you know, you 34-17, you just have to put your 
foot on their neck and end the game there. It has to be over and when it's that way in the fourth quarter. Um, and, yeah, it, you know, it unravels and it got really close at the end. Yeah, so on this next UCLA drive, I mean, essentially they just go back to passing the ball. Um, they realize that, oh, hey, not only are we running out of time, but we're actually better when we throw the ball in this game. So why don't we just do that more? Um, and it worked out pretty well for them. Uh, also, throughout this game, something we haven't mentioned yet, some of these UCLA receivers were making some pretty insane catches. Um, I feel like that kind of got overlooked a little bit. Uh, there were multiple yeah. times. Kyle, Kyle Phillips does end up playing also, importantly. He was, he was kind of questionable going in, but he right, does, which right. was big for them. Yeah, I mean, they were making sideline catches. Uh, Dulcich had a few great grabs over the middle. Obviously, he dropped the one later, but um, he still had a, a decent game for most of it. Um, but the key part about this is even when DTR is completing these passes, which, by the way, on this drive, we got him down to third down three times in a row. Um, and then on the last one, got him to fourth down before they converted. Uh, yeah, and the first two are third and long also. Yeah, yeah. Um, so again, passing, UCLA should, should do it more. But my point being, even when DTR was getting these passes off, and even if they were incomplete, he was getting hit on pretty much every single play. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And that adds up pretty quickly. There's a, if you look at the highlights, uh, at the 12-minute mark, um, he's, it's right after a first down cat, uh, pass on third and 12. He's lying on the ground like, just face down and you can tell this man is in deep deep pain um yeah but he's just like all right i gotta be jay Kaner for a minute like i gotta stand up and keep moving um and Absolutely. props to him like yeah. dtr played a great game despite a couple bad decisions but overall i mean it was it was a pretty almost legendary performance if they had pulled it off and maybe if he doesn't he's go good drive yeah, he, he he's is good. damn good. Yeah. It, it it wasn't his fault that the that Oregon's front seven was dominating their O line, um, and he was coming through in big spots consistently. I mean, I, I, you know, I get your point that I think they had to pass the ball because they just couldn't run it on Oregon, but still, you know, it wasn't like they were all successful plays just carving us up. It was more a story of big spots in, you know, a third and 10 and a third and 12 that are, you know, risky spots that you really have to make a play. Otherwise, everything, you know, is going to be derailed. And they came through when they needed to, again, on a fourth and four. Um, you know, but I think that's why they don't pass it, because having drives like this isn't sustainable. You're not going to convert a third and 10 and a third and 12 and a fourth and four consecutively that often um but credit to dtr <laughs> for doing expect it to. <laughs> yeah um yeah so after that fourth down and four you just mentioned uh that's dulcich catches it and it's first and goal next play is the the holding call on dj james or no sorry it's pass interference on mikhail on this one yeah can't again with this camera work that we complain about every week you can't really tell um, maybe it's a PI, maybe it's not. At this rate, it doesn't make a huge difference. I mean, yeah, I think it was. I think it was kind of one of those cumulative calls because Mikhail had been being physical all night, and they just kind of decided we got to get him on one, and the dude falls down. Um, so yeah, yeah, and then uh, 
DTR punches it in from the two with the spin move past Adrian Jackson. Um, and it's not like they're back in business. I mean, I think uh, Chris Fowler on the call said, like, UCLA is not done yet. Like, yeah, that that's pretty much perfectly describes the attitude of, mm-hmm. you know, how this game still felt. Um, Ducks get the yeah, ball they're li- Yeah, they're living on the edge completely, but they somehow managed, you know, they managed to stay alive to their credit. One thing that was kind of interesting to me was that fourth and four for UC- for UCLA from the Oregon 22. I was wondering if they're going to kick a field goal there. I was you know, kind you of a- wondering that too, yeah. Yeah, you have a 39-yarder to cut it to 14. It seemed like that was made more sense, but I guess in the end it it worked out. Uh, and I do think that because they scored a touchdown, it helped their mentality a ton versus a field goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, helped the momentum for UCLA a ton. So makes sense, but just by the math of it, it seemed like you have a pretty good shot. You know, pretty easy to cut it to two. Two possessions, but I don't know the UCLA field goal kicker situation exactly. He did miss a pretty easy one earlier, so yeah. yeah. And again, it's a momentum thing. Chip understands this. Uh, right. Like you said, if if they convert, you know, if they convert a field goal, it's like whatever. You still have to stop this offense that up until this point has been pretty much perfect in the second half, apart from that one fumble. Um, so I. <laughs> Good luck, I, I think, is kind of what Chip was thinking. Like, if Oregon scores again, like, he's thinking that they can't kick field goals to keep up with us. Um, you, right. When, when an offense is rolling as well as Oregon's has been, you, you have to assume they're going to score. Um, and in that case, like, we can take a bunch of time off the clock, kick a field goal, and UCLA's right back where they were beforehand with even less time. So, yeah. in yeah. hindsight, right. it makes a lot more sense than it did during the game, for sure. Yeah. Um, okay, this next one. Disaster. Absolutely disastrous. Um, AB, who, again, had had one incompletion the entire second half up until this point. Um, just plain and simple makes, makes a terrible decision. Um, it was the second play of the drive, I believe. Uh, we had a die carry and then a false start put us back five yards. Second and 14. Yep. Oh. Do, do you want to dissect it? I don't really want to. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I think that one way to look at it is, you know, if you put yourself in a better position on first down and you don't have that penalty, then you don't have to do this. Um so it can be solved that way as well. If you rip off five yards on the ground on the first play uh, and you're, it's a second and five, you don't have to throw this pass. But second and 14, they want to move the chains. It's not, you know, there's still nine minutes and 40 seconds left. So it's not quite to the point where you can just kind of run the ball and bleed clock and punt it back to them immediately. You do really want to move the sticks. Um, and so... Play call, it's, you know, it's fine to call It's a great play there. call. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm looking and, at the play right now in the reverse angle, like from behind the quarterback. There's three receivers open, so it's a great play call. Yeah. It's just, the, you know, horrible read. One of the worst reads you'll see ever. And just throws it right to the UCLA defenders. Like, I don't know what – have no clue what Anthony Brown was seeing there. 
Me neither. I mean, again, he's got Johnny Johnson on the left hand on the left uh, sideline wide open. The two middle routes are uh, Pittman, who he's throwing to, um, and then in front of him is Ferguson. They're running like a little mid-high-low thing from the same side, uh, and Ferguson is open, kind of. I mean, you could throw that ball. Um, Johnny Johnson is open on the left. Devin Williams is making a great run on the right. Great run. It's my soccer commentary coming through. Uh, he made a great move, <laughs> running a great route on the right. Um, and he would have been wide open in some space. So, yeah, it's classified this one as a bad decision. He didn't know. Yeah, any, ch- any, ch- any choice but that. You know, I mean, it's just, it's a zero out of 10 play. Like, yeah. <laughs> you can't give him credit for anything. Uh, and it's basically the worst result possible on that drive. Uh, yeah. That in an instant kind of, I mean, that's when I was getting a little nervous, uh, just when we get that ball with 10 minutes left and you just think, okay, let's just get, move the chains a few times, bleed some clock. Even if we give them back to the ball, at least give it back to them with five minutes left or something. Don't give it back to them with yeah. 20 yards from scoring with nine and a half left, please. Uh, <laughs> and that's so, yeah, it was a disaster. Total disaster. Um, it, a, another great defensive stand here from Oregon. Yeah. Um, even though UCLA scores a touchdown, it takes seven damn plays to get the ball in from 20 yards out. Uh, mm-hmm. And they almost another third and ten where they could have forced a field goal that I think Chip actually would have had to take, and then a third and six, um, and kind of a bad holding penalty. I thought I was going to James, but like, I don't know. I couldn't yeah. couldn't tell from the camera on this, but instinct was that you know based on reactions and that other stuff that doesn't actually matter. It didn't really seem like a penalty. I don't know. Yeah, and the ball didn't seem like it was that close to being caught at all. Uh, well, that's the problem kind of is when you call holding, that kind of stuff doesn't matter. But like, if the ball's right. out when you when you're calling the alleged hold, like why why does that make a difference? You know, uh, yeah. whatever. Um, UCLA punches it in after the penalty, so they they get <laughs> multiple breaks, some caused by Oregon, some maybe caused by the refs. Either way. Uh, Feeling not so great now, 34-24, but still, you're up by 10 points. Like, this game should still be over with Oregon getting the ball back with six and a half minutes, especially considering how, again, apart from literally two plays, how absolutely dominant the Oregon offense has been since, like, the second quarter. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, Ducks get the ball back. Uh, convert a third down on their first series. Um, they just methodically kind of start marching down the field, get it down to three minutes on the clock. And then um, <laughs> we have another questionable play um, and questionable mm-hmm. decision from AB. And again, we've been pra- I feel like we've been praising him this whole episode up until the last... Uh, decision. Even on this drive, he has a great and he's, run. And he's deserved it. Yeah. Yeah, he did have a great game up until these moments. But again, it it doesn't matter if you play pretty consistently the whole time and then make these two throws in 
absolute crunch time when you should be running out the clock. Um, yeah, I mean, it's reflected in the final score, right? Yeah. The outsized effect of those two bad mis- decisions are reflected in the fact that it's a three-point game. You know, they don't reward you wins based on what, how many plays overall you won. It's based on actually sustaining drives and putting the ball in the end zone. And when you make key turnovers, you know, that drastically shifts games, even if you're winning 80% of the snaps. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't think it's a coincidence either that, like I said, you know, these second and this is another second and long that he makes a bad decision in. And it didn't happen before in part because on the other on the other three first downs they had, it's a 28-yard run from A.B. Then it's a five-yard run from Die to sec- set up a second and five um, where you can just do a short pass, third and one, and you get it. Then it's another first down, um, and it's a catch for from Devin Williams for four yards, you know, a second and six, um, and you get a seven-yard catch. So, you know, when you have those things, you're able to move the ball a bit more incrementally. But when you set up a second and nine, I think for whatever, you know, felt like you needed a bigger shot. Uh, and yeah, this was bad. Um, Real quick, I want to ask about the decision to throw because we, as you just mentioned, there were multiple occasions on this drive where Oregon successfully threw the ball, you know, stayed mm-hmm. in bounds. It's effectively a run in terms of clock management. Yeah. The, in like considering the routes that were run on this play and considering the fact that like AB maybe should get happy feet on this play. Um, you have like Terrence Ferguson trying to block a defensive end and he ends up in AB's face. Like, I, I don't know. It, something about this play seems messed up. I feel like there was something, some sort of miscommunication going on. I mean, even look at the location of the receivers when the ball is thrown. Like it really doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't have it up right now, but from my memory, I, I felt like AB just should have tucked the ball and tried to get what he could. Exactly. Find a way to do exactly. it. Exactly. The linebacker um, cleared out from his side. It was wide open. Um, this is a great chance to yeah. again use his legs, which have been super effective. We've been talking about it all day. Um, but yeah, didn't didn't go. Yeah, that it's way. it's it's just a bad. It's just situational awareness. Um, in a different situation where you're just going for the kill shot and you think you have Devin Williams, maybe you can make that throw uh, earlier in the game or something. But in this spot, it's about just getting yards, bleeding the clock, trying to maintain touchdowns, not what you're thinking as much as just get the next first down. Exactly. Um, exactly. And yeah, I mean, that was, the, that was bad. Uh, like I said earlier, I think there's a slight silver lining just that, hey, Anthony Brown is seeing Devin Williams even with a slight opening, and his mind is at least making the connection. I trust Devin Williams. I'm going to throw him a ball and give him a chance to make a play. Mm -hmm. That's good in a way, but I think in this situation, the more accurate representation was what Herb Street said on the call. You're just throwing and praying. And yeah. you don't need, guess what, De- I mean, we're, guess what, Anthony Brown, we're not down by four points 
with 15 seconds left right now. We have a three-point lead with three minutes left, and we're trying to get a first down and run out the game. You know, mm-hmm. it, you don't need a desperation pass here. If the situation was different, yeah, but that's not what it is. It's about just getting the first down. Um, Mind you, also, yeah. I mean, regarding the decision to pass the ball there by A.B., Williams is open. I mean, if he throws this accurately, Williams has like a nice five-yard cushion around everybody where he can make the catch in the end zone, no questions asked. Yeah. Instead, he, he steps into the contact from the defensive end, which, again, is kind of weird. Like, Travis Dye was also right in front of him, but he, like, and he's, like, setting up to, to block the guy, but A.B., like, goes outside the pocket and actually gives the defensive end a chance to get to him. Whereas if he just stays yeah. in the middle of the pocket, the rest of the line's doing just fine. He should be able to get this pass off cleanly. Really odd stuff. I, I don't know. Yeah, that's true. But even, even with all of that, unless Devin Williams is wide open, there's no need to throw the ball there. Yeah. To, you know, I, I, I mean, even with the space, it's just, it is kind of a hard throw to make. Um, and he makes it harder on himself, and bad things can happen, as they did, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, All right, yeah, so... Yeah, I would... Yeah, we said enough on it. Back. Um, they shoot themselves in the foot. They're at third and two, make it third and seven. Uh, incompletion makes it fourth and seven. And, again, on every single one of these plays, obviously they're all passes. Pretty much every single play, DTR is getting hit. Uh, whether the yep. Ducks bring four or five or six, he's usually getting some sort of pressure, if not contact, uh, every time. This third and seven pass, by the way, is the one that Dulcich drops, and then you have the great reaction from Brown on the sideline. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it looks like that's a chance to end it right there on fourth and seven. And then I think it's DTR scrambling, and you have a guy coming back for the ball, kind of sliding just on the sidelines and gets it. For, for 16 yards? Uh, it's a little bit of a scramble, I guess. I mean, I'm looking at it right now. Swinson okay. gets his hand up, and he, like, is in oh, that's, DTR's face. This, this is the Swinson tip? I believe so, yeah. yeah. Um, and number zero for UCLA makes the catch at the 40-yard line. Again, we're inches from ending this game, and yeah. we just find a way to let them back in the door. Um, yep. We only rushed, like, Four on this play, by the way. Um, and we still got pretty significant pressure on DTR. But yeah, that's that's kind of a miracle throw and catch considering the circumstances. Um, you can't even really... It's, it's really tough because it's hard to be mad at that or mad at your defense for that when they did pretty much what needed to be done. Um, and then the receiver just kind of makes a great, pa- great catch off of a great pass. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Continuing... Um, you know, UCLA works the ball up past midfield. DTR is still in the game at this point. They try to use some quick throws so he doesn't get hit, but he gets hit. Um, <laughs> so bad, in fact, that he has to leave the game. You have Ethan Garbers it, coming in. Yeah, and and right before this, importantly, another holding penalty, yes, yes. and it's caused by Kayvon. Yeah, the dude um, literally tackles Kayvon from behind. Um, yeah, so... I, I mean, this is like, might, you, you can basically tally it as a sack for Kayvon Thibodeau. Like, 
he 100% causes this. Uh, his presence this whole game was just so clear, the impact that he made individually mm-hmm. and how it, you know, it just makes Brandon Dorless and Braden Swinson and Noah Sewell 10% better as mm-hmm. well. And that becomes very scary when all those guys are playing at that level. Um, yeah, it was this defense looks like a completely diff- different transformed unit with Kayvon out there. Yeah, it does. Um, Ducks get it down to third and eight. Garbers is out there. Uh, again, have pressure on him. Dulcich drops another ball, and this one is even scarier than the last one because not only is UCLA in field goal range if he catches this, but um, they still have over a minute of clock left to try to go for the end zone. Um, KT lined up on the inside on this third and eight uh, and just shoves the guard backwards. Um, You have Swinson on the outside, and then I believe Adrian Jackson on the other side, getting pretty significant pressure with just four guys. Um, and then obviously doorless in the middle, like moving people backwards. Um, again, it's it's hard to overstate how dominant this defensive line was and how more dominant they became as the game wore on. I think that's the key there. Uh, it just felt like every single time UCLA got a completed pass, it was like a minor miracle just because of how much pressure there was on the quarterback. Um, anyways, so, you know, What's his face? Dulcich drops it on four, on third and eight. <laughs> they have fourth down. Completed to Kyle Phillips with like another. Again, this it feels like a miracle when these things happen, and yet it's like a relatively simple thing. Um, on this one, Dorless almost bats the ball down at the line of scrimmage. Uh, yeah. Ducks also brought three, four, five, six, seven on this play, um, which I thought was in. Well, it's more like six and a half because somebody's like kind of spying um but i thought it was interesting on this play kt is like dead i mean he like (laughs) hesitates and tries to act like he's beating someone with speed but he's just clearly not i don't know really odd stuff um apparently he was just i mean apparently he was just gassed by the end of this one yeah i mean he played a ton of snaps and also looked like he had a minor uh ankle injury and and he's, you know, he's just a warrior playing through it, but pretty clearly had not much left in the tank at that point. Yep. Um, this is also, as we mentioned in our preview, the first full game experience of Kayvon Thibodeau that we've had this season. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, he's probably a little more tired than usual just because of that. Um, yep. 80, 86 snaps. 86 snaps. That's insane, man. By the way, like yeah. 93 snaps for UCLA is also insane. Um, yeah. It just speaks to how many third downs and even fourth down situations we got them into by the time this game was over. 100%. I mean, you look at the yards per play as well. Um, you know, it, for those two teams to gain, Oregon outgains them by about 60. But in the big thing is yards per play. Oregon has 6.6 and UCLA is limited to 3.9. Mm-hmm. I, it is tough to move the ball at 3.9 yards per play. Yeah. <laughs> really hard. Like borderline impossible. 
Yeah. <laughs> Especially when you're throwing at this rate. Um, and when you haven't established that run that they rely on so much. Again, UCLA was the best rushing team in the Pac-12 coming into this game. Um, and Oregon's best defensive run or best run defense in the Pac-12 is going to get tested. And I think we know who won that battle today or yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Uh, by this time, like the Garbers experience kind of takes over um, incompletion and throws the pick on the out route on the next play. Um, it's just a great play by DJ James. He reads it the whole way. I mean, I've seen plenty of videos on Twitter now explaining just, you know, watch his eyes. Garbers doesn't really, he only pursues one option on this play. Um, yeah. It seems pretty clear he feels like he's under duress too, even when he's not quite. Um, but he will be in the very near future considering who is on Oregon's defensive line. Yeah, just wide-eyed, you know, freshman, or I guess transfer, but, you know, basically first time playing in this moment uh, gets thrown in there. And, you know, just he's he's definitely feeling the pressure from Oregon, and he's also forgetting the little things. And, you know, he can't communicate a throw that clearly. Uh, especially when you've gone to the sideline uh, before. Mm-hmm. Um, and DJ sees it the whole way. And just an awesome play to end this thing. And I think now it it is with all the big moments that Oregon has faced in these past three games on defense specifically uh, and the breaks that have gone for and against them, Every game, I feel pretty proud of the way that this defense has stepped up now. Um, mm-hmm. And you don't like being put in these situations, but man, that is valuable experience. Where, you know, whatever situation Oregon gets in from the season onward, when they're on defense and the opposing offense is driving the ball, every one of those guys knows exactly what that feels like. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, that that is a positive for sure going forward. I mean, we used to talk about this with the old Oregon teams who would blow everybody out. Like they don't necessarily have experience in those types of high pressure situations on offense or defense. Um, so that can be valuable. Obviously, I would rather see Oregon blow everybody out going the rest of the way, considering how much experience we probably have too much experience in those scenarios at this point. Um, but with Colorado coming up next weekend, this is really an opportunity to show that Oregon can be dominant for a full four quarters. That's really, you know, I'm sure we'll repeat that on Tuesday. That's what we need to see from this offense and defense going forward. Um, one question I kind of had at the top of the show that I wrote down that I forgot to ask you, Reed, is which side of the ball do you think played better on the whole? I mean, in, in general, maybe it seems like you're leaning towards the defense, but, I mean, considering how dominant this offense was, apart from three plays in the second half, do you, do you give it to the offense? Like, Yeah, I think that's tough. Um, there's such different performances, and, you know, the, the defense was pretty good all night, uh, and especially the front was really impressive and the back just made sure nothing big happened. Um, but I think I'm more surprised by how the offense played. So in that way, I, I guess I would give them credit. I feel like they won the game more for us. Um, you know, I, 
we've looked at this UCLA game for a while. And I think that especially early in the year, my analysis of it was I'm worried about this game because this is a game where you're going to need 35 mm -hmm. to win or so, or so. Um, and the offense got that it, exactly yeah. that, uh, that was the question for me. You know, I thought that I thought that the defense would be able to hold them around there, and I knew that the Oregon offense was going to have to score against Chip Kelly and DTR and Ch Charbonnet. You know, we were going to have to be able to match that. And it really was impressive for me because we had to do it in the way we weren't comfortable with. We had to do it through the air, and we stepped up and did that. Um, so... That it was more impressive, I guess, compared to expectations. The offense, for sure. I think the defense is still the better unit. Um, mm -hmm. Our offense can't do anything with AB at quarterback that looks the same as having Kayvon and Noah yeah. Sewell and Brandon Dorless involved in a play. That just is going to look absurd and jump off the screen in a way that it won't on offense. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel really good about what the offense did in this game overall. Unfortunately, those three plays are going to color people's perception of it a bit, but there's a lot to build on from this performance, I think. Uh, yeah, w what are your thoughts on that? I, I mean, I agree with everything you just said. Um, for me, I'm actually kind of leaning towards the offense. Again, just because we, not just that we've expected this from the defense before, but I mean, the defense did give up some pretty bad plays. Right. I mean, it was terrible on third down overall. You know, obviously yeah. you've got to get them to third down to make that possible. But, I mean, UCLA got what they needed when they absolutely needed it up until that last drive. Well, okay, not the whole game, but, you know, in this comeback during the fourth quarter. Um, and, yeah, of course, a lot of that comes down to the amount of snaps the defense played. I mean, I want to take nothing away from this defensive performance. I thought it was great. But ultimately, I think we've now seen that a dominant offensive performance can help carry us. Obviously, you're going to need the defense to do something. But, um, again, I, I, was this the exact scoreline I predicted? Maybe I said – I think I said 35-28, actually. Um, either way, this was a convincing performance from the offense up until a point. I mean, what do you think the – Again, I don't want to. We're not going to do a Colorado preview or anything. But how many points do you think we're capable of scoring against a, a competent defense in Cal, or sorry, Colorado, um, one that we should be running up the numbers on if you think about their record? But I mean, it's really Colorado's offense that's terrible. Like, say Oregon gets yeah. the same amount of snaps in this game, I'm expecting over 40 points. I think. Yeah, I think that's an interesting question. Um, honestly, it was it was interesting for me to see that Oregon got a lot of respect from Vegas in this opening line. Uh, mm -hmm. I see it right now at 26 and a half. I've seen 28 some places. Um, and looking at the over under too, it looks like, you know, the projected, uh, you know, score you're looking at is is about 40 to 13. Um, and that was cool to see that, you know, Vegas has been a little skeptical on Oregon, it feels like, uh, and rightfully so for a while, but I think this performance meant a lot to those people. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that is a good peek behind the curtain to say Oregon played really well on Saturday, actually. And it was actually a few moments that allowed UCLA to get back in the game. But, you know, I think that in terms of those raw numbers that are on an every everyone's box score that are most kind of similar to what a Vegas looks looks at, it's a yards per play type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and Oregon dominated that stat. Uh, and that showed how much they controlled the game. So in terms of Oregon's point total versus Colorado, I think that I, I think it's probably going to end up um, 35 to 40 range probably because unfortunately you say that yes, these two plays, three plays hindered the Oregon offense, but that's starting to feel like a theme. I think that's part of the Anthony Brown experience is that he is going to have a few moments, whether it's an interception or it's just a bad incompletion mm-hmm. that stops them from sustaining a drive uh, and puts a cap on this team. That's why I give credit to someone like an Oklahoma or a Georgia or whoever when they play even really bad teams and they put up 70 points because yeah. I think that Oregon play could play against air and they would not put up 70. It feels like almost just because of those accuracy issues. Yeah, We'd find a way to fumble um, or throw an interception or just throw in completions, you know? Exactly. Um, so that's what I think. I But on the other hand, I think Colorado's offense is so bad. And I think Oregon's defense is getting better and better that I could see Oregon having the ball for a ton of this game. Uh, you know, I mean, part of the thing versus Cal or Stanford is that they were kind of able to slow the game down a bit because we allowed those teams to sustain long drives. Even when we shut them down in the red zone, even versus in Arizona as well, we allowed them to sustain drives mm-hmm. uh, and eat up the clock. But I think I expect a really dominant performance from Oregon's defense this, you know, this week. I mean, honestly, it feels like it's when they're clicking a top 10 defense maybe in the country for mm-hmm. Oregon going up against a bottom team, bottom 10 offense in the country for Colorado. Like, why can't they do what Minnesota did to Colorado where yeah, just blank Colorado them. had negative rushing yards and, and you blank them? Um, and so, yeah, that's how I see it. I, I You know, we're not getting into the preview too much, but I would tend to lean... I don't think I think Colorado could easily be held to single digits. And if that happens, I still think Oregon's in the in the 40, 35, 40 range, but they have a chance to cover is my early assessment on it. I like it. I like it. Again, I maybe Colorado's offensive total um, is lower than even we expect. Uh, or maybe the defense, right. you know, takes a little bit of a rest and gives up a little bit, but the offense cuts makes up for it. Either way, we'll, we'll you, talk about that more on Tuesday. Go ahead. Yeah. Another just question about this game is like, how much does this change your perception of Oregon overall? Does this really impact like whether how you see this team, if you were doing your own power ratings, Honestly, would this shift Oregon a lot or no? Not that much. Like, I think the one thing we really learned from this game that we keep coming back to is that the offense is capable of, of putting up a lot of points. 
um, mm-hmm. and is capable of being like mm, unstoppable against lesser defensive competition. Um, mm-hmm. If that makes sense, I I still yeah. I still go back to it though. Like we saw this kind of stuff from this offense, not as consistently, but I mean we scored thirty five offensive points in the horseshoe, and yeah. no matter how many like insults you want to throw at Kerry Coombs if you're a Colo- an Ohio State fan like we still move the ball against elite talent um yeah 100 we're able to scheme around like you know Coombs defense works against other teams you know like it uh, yeah and I mean there's a bunch of coaches in that room yes you no know, yes crafting into you like this isn't peewee schemes here like these are you know all these people are competent football minds. The defense, you know, they, they did want to make a change afterwards, but it wasn't like we were playing against air. I mean, yeah. there are a lot of people who tried to craft a good game plan like, to stop we the had to, offense. We had to make people say that, you know, Moorhead was right. the one who outcoached Coombs. Like it wasn't just total incompetence from Ohio state. Um, we're not going to have the playoff discussion about Ohio state or not right now. What I will say right. is that I've seen a lot more people, and not just Oregon fans, but like general football fans, um, giving Oregon's loss to Stanford a little more, um, uh, I don't know, it, it doesn't seem as bad as it did before. And I think mm-hmm. the biggest um, sort of motivator for that is Moorhead himself. People recognize that Moorhead wasn't at that game. They recognize how big of a loss that was. There's, you know, I've seen people talk about the injuries Oregon dealt with that game and that, again, at the end of the day, the game was over with Oregon winning the game um, and then a penalty was called against them as, yeah. as one of many on that drive. We don't need to relive it. Um, so I think a lot of people are willing to excuse that Stanford loss a little more if Oregon can keep winning games convincingly. Um, mm-hmm. The problem is we haven't seen really any convincing wins. So, yeah, let's get one against Colorado, blow them out, dismember them. Let's let's just move on and move past all these weird results from this season. Um, one question I want to ask you, and this can kind of shift into our next conference topic, is it is Oregon the best team in the Pac-12 right now? Can we definitively say that? Yes. After every I think team so. in the South loses and we beat, in, you know, a good UCLA team. Yes, I, I, I definitely think so. Um, and I don't, you know, I, I wasn't ready to say that going into this game necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this was a big test. Let, let's remind people, UCLA was favored. Every person on game day picked UCLA. Uh, the hot pick was UCLA in general. Like, yeah, all the public, people, mo- the public money shifted the line on this game. Again, Oregon started as favorites and ended up, underdogs Mm -hmm. people were really really suspicious of Oregon and and thought that they were ready to lose this game and Oregon came out and played well they shot themselves in the foot a few times yes but they overcame it and I think that there's a chance to completely transform the image for Oregon if they can pair this UCLA win with a dominant win against Colorado uh, and and you know maybe do something like that at least against one of washington or washington state um Mm -hmm. but there's time there's time to discuss all that i think 
But yeah, I mean, you know, you look at the rest of this conference, who else has an argument right now? It's I think, I mean, you know, the team you, people were putting above us before this game was Utah. Um, yeah. And then they go lose to the Beavers, who, the Beavers aren't bad. Let me make that distinction. They'll make a bowl game, and that was sort of supposed to be their ceiling. They're, they're eyeing a Pac-12 North title if they can beat us. Um, but I, I don't know how much of that Utah game you watched, like, Oregon State. Yeah, I watched a good bit. Oregon State yeah. looked like the better team in that game. Even when yeah. Utah went up in this game pretty early and looked pretty dominant, Oregon State just seemed like the more competent football team overall. Um, right now, I would honestly put the Beavers at number two in the conference after seeing that game. ASU didn't play this yeah. weekend, but their last loss was collapsing against Utah, scoring no second-half points. So I don't see how it isn't Oregon and Oregon State one and two right now. Yeah, I'm excited to see what the Beavs can do. I, I'm, you know, I definitely think that they can beat Oregon, and I think Utah could beat Oregon too. That's not what I'm. I, I'm not saying that they have no chance to lose to these teams, obviously, but Oregon's looked the most impressive. I mean, people who want to hop on the Utah train, train, you got to be honest with yourselves. Look at what Utah has done. <laughs> they're a four and They've three football played, team. <laughs> they're a four and three football team who's played one elite half of football the entire year they had a good second half against arizona state other than that they haven't been very good at all they lost to byu they lost to san diego state they played washington state close with garantano starting at quarterback not delora importantly yeah they beat a, a shell of a usc team and then they trailed arizona state for a half they woke up they played Elite, absolutely elite for that second half. Yeah, I mean, All credit there. Those USC and ASU wins are the State. ones that kind of propelled them into that number one spot for me and others. Like yeah. again, I thought Utah right. was the best team coming into this week, um, but you're right, man. They they have been super inconsistent all year, um, and we thought we were starting to see some consistency. But props to the Beavs, man. Props to Jonathan Smith. Again, when we were setting yeah. our expectations for this team at the beginning of the year, we thought it was like. Oh, bowl, you know, and this is not just us. This is the national talk, too. Oh, bowl game is great for them. Like, the Beavs would be hyped to yeah. have a bowl game. Um, some people were talking yeah. about it I'll, as a potential winless team if they, you know, at least FBS winless team. But they've proven something. Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. Arizona State still worries me a bit as well. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm worried about their passing attack. Um, and, you know, they've got a good back as well. And I think. They they handled Stanford. They handled UCLA more than Oregon did. They handled Colorado again, a bad Colorado team. But they they've been getting wins by two scores, three scores in a year where that's really tough to come by. Um, but they are they do have discipline issues on you know undoubtedly, and that showed up against Utah. That showed up in their loss to BYU also. Um, but I think Arizona State's pretty good. All, yeah, I think Arizona State is pretty good. So, I mean, Arizona State, they're technically first in the South again. You have to consider them as being in the driver's seat um, in the South right now. Even with that loss to Utah, they still control their own destiny. Um, is that who you expect? Well, te technic no, that's not true, actually, it's technically. Not? No, because Utah has the tiebreaker over them in the conference race three and they're both three and one but since utah won the head-to-head -head, they 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 control it 
Interesting. So the Pac-12 website has has Arizona State as ahead of them. I guess that's just how they sort it by like conference and then overall record, which is kind of mm. a dumb way to do it. But you yeah. are right that that makes a lot more sense. Um, yeah. Either way, but again, I, I, I still mean, would expect to meet Arizona State before Utah in the Pac-12 title game. Yes, Utah has a big game with UCLA coming up. They have a game with Stanford that's losable. Uh, and they have an Oregon game, obviously, that we know well. So, yeah, it, they can, you know, there's still room for a Utah loss for sure. Uh, and There is one for Arizona State as well. I mean, they play Wazoo next weekend, which is probably a win, but not guaranteed. Then they host... In this conference, yeah, yeah. yeah. Then they host USC, go to UW and Oregon State in back-to-back weeks. Those are both tough places to play. Um, and then they, you know, have Territorial Cup, so... Definitely chances for both of those teams to move around and shoot, man. I mean, UCLA still has three conference wins right now. Like, they are not totally mm-hmm. out of this race. Uh, if they win that game against Utah next weekend, they will be able to scrap their way. Like, I can see a path of them scrapping their way into the Pac-12 title game. Yeah. So, interesting stuff totally. all around there. As I mentioned, the entire Pac-12 South were losers this weekend. Uh Except Arizona State didn't play, but everyone else lost. Um, Reed, should we go over our picks and uh, how that all panned out? Oh yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I I'm not looking at them quite yet. I got to pull them up, but um, I think you beat me this week. I'm I'm pretty sure. Um, I'm pretty sure as well. Me riding with the Washington schools has been rough, even though I I'm pretty sure. Uh, Wazoo covered yeah, in that. Yeah, Wazoo covered. Um. Okay, sorry. I gotta, I gotta find Pac-12 scores. No, not Conference USA. Do not want to check those scores. All right, first game: Washington twenty-one, Arizona sixteen on Friday night. I cannot believe that Arizona came so close to winning this game. Um, <laughs> did you, did you watch any of this? Yeah, I, I watched a good bit of it. Yeah. Yeah, same. Um, that's a win for you. You had Arizona covering. I genuinely an eighteen point spread, by the way. (laughs) I genuinely thought that UW would um, be able to do this, but yeah, no. Um, All right, next game: BYU at Wazoo. As you mentioned, BYU wins. Wazoo covers. I thought Wazoo was going to win this game, low key, but uh, thank God I'm picking against the spread because I'm pretty sure this is my one win this week, Um, and we both had that, so yeah, good for them. Yeah, and Wazoo came close. Uh, yeah, yeah, they had a couple opportunities to end it. Um, yeah, had a had a two pointer to tie it at the end too. Yeah. Uh, what's next? Colorado at Cal. I'm sorry for believing that Cal was. Well, I didn't. I didn't like. You know, pure analysis would have told me to pick Colorado, and I said this during my analysis, but I just thought that being in the Pac-12, you know, I had to go against my gut. But you were right about this one, Reed. Cal, yeah, Cal the, loses by 23. <laughs> Colorado loses by 23, you yeah, mean? Jesus, dude. I always yeah. I always say these teams backwards. <laughs> um, did you see the line for the Beavs at Cal game this coming week? Is it 14? 10? N- no. What? It's one and a half. Oh, my Lord. Dude, what? Opened at one. Yeah, I know. 
Okay. I know. I, I was really surprised by it. But, yeah, Beeves only favored by one and a half against Cal. Um, That's really, really, really interesting what's going on here. Uh, I think, look, I mean, we, we talked about Cal being the best one and five team in the country going into this weekend, now two and five. But, again, I, I think this Cal team is competent. Uh, and... I think that that, again, bad result for Oregon. But I think we need to roll it back a little bit and, and rather than Oregon should have won that game by 24, maybe Oregon just should have won that game by 14 or 17, mm-hmm. you know, and they ended up winning by seven. Um, but that's okay that that happens. You know, that does <laughs> happen in college football. So I think... It was a good week for Oregon overall, and this Cal result was a part of it. Um, and then on the other side, it it shows for whatever reason, Vegas is not buying into the Beavs, you know, to the same extent that a lot of other people is. And I I am on you know the edge of saying the Beavs should be ranked. Um, yeah, they weren't but, this week, were they? No, no, they're not. The we're ranked seventh, by the way. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Um, Anyways, that'll be a really interesting game to watch. Um, Reed, you went four and one this week. I went one and four. I know. A big reason for this was me foolishly picking USC to cover a seven-point spread on the road in South Bend. Um, even though Notre Dame's star safety, whose name escapes me, he was like out for a lot of this game. USC just looked totally incompetent. I mean, there was like the end of the first half, they like totally squandered a chan- an opportunity to score due to poor just clock management, not even poor clock management. Like it was like they were totally unaware that the clock was winding down. I mean, they ran like two run plays in a row with 20 seconds left and no timeouts on like in Notre Dame territory. It was very, very odd. Um, Doesn't look like, I mean, Dante Williams is never going to get that job. He's definitely not getting that job at the end of this, no matter how it shakes out. Did you hear his quote after the game? Yeah, that like if the game was longer, they they would have won. Like, yeah, they they didn't you, lose. They just ran out of time. About? Yeah, Clay Hilton didn't get fired. He just ran out of time. Um, <laughs> USC's terrible. They're a bad team, and they are now under five hundred to show for it. So, good for them. Um, you got USC and Arizona next week. Oh, how funny would that be? That would just be absolutely There's perfect. no way. There's no way. I, there's no way. That game ended 31-16 but, Notre Dame, by the way. But, but hey, let me tell you this, though. USC has Arizona, right? But after that, they've got Arizona State. I don't give a much of a chance there. Cal, which now I am starting to feel like Cal could pretty easily win that game. They'll at least be close. Uh, UCLA, who I'd take UCLA, and BYU, where I'd take BYU. So, so there's a ch- four and eight is on the table for the <laughs> USC Trojans. Yeah, it very much is. Yeah, yeah. Um, it might be looking like an uphill battle to make a bowl game at this rate. Uh, again, oh they'll, yeah, they'll be underdogs oh, yeah. against ASU, UCLA, and maybe BYU. So out of five games left. If you're underdog in at least two of them, you need three more wins. I don't know. I don't know. They don't look like they're getting any better either. It seems like they're getting worse, uh, even though Drake London might be the best player in college football. Yeah, he's, um, he's really good. 
Okay, uh, last score, we mentioned it earlier. Oregon State 42, Utah 34. Um, this was just a great all-around game. Um, B.J. Baylor, 152 and a touchdown. Uh, I don't have the advanced stats in front of me, but with only 19 carries, that's you know just pounding away. Eight-yard average on that. Uh, Trey Lowe also had a good game with three carries but 53 yards. Beavers don't throw the ball a lot, but they don't need to. Um, and then it's kind of the same story on defense. Well, a similar story on defense to Oregon, just in, in terms of the bend-don't-break quality. Um, yeah. The uh, college football data has this as a 100% post-game win percentage. For Oregon State. For, for the Beavs. That's kind of surprising, but... Yeah. Um, they... Look, I mean, like you said, they didn't didn't feel like a fluke. It felt like the Beavs were the better team, really. Yeah, big third and um, short team, you know, converting yeah. third and shorts, I will say. Uh, it seems like every driver series they were, like, getting to that. Also, the Beavers had over 100 yards of penalties in this game um, and, still, and lost the turnover battle and still won. Uh, that's pretty impressive. Again, though, uh, 260 yards on the ground overall for the Beavers. The... Um, it's it's really hard to win a game if you're Utah when you're giving up that kind of average. They were averaging 7.8 yards per play. It's just nuts. Yeah, 6.3 on the ground, 10.9 per pass. This is an actual good team with actual good, like, competent coaching and play calling. Um, yeah. That really Devin Lloyd for me. Uh, <laughs> Devin Lloyd for Utah went out late in this game. Ooh. Uh, which was a factor, their linebacker and and one of the best defensive players in the conference. I mean, right there with Kayvon and Noah Sewell, uh, kind of pretty much on that level. So that was a big factor. But again, I mean, for how for how Utah fans have been talking, this is a bad, you know, statement. Win uh, they're win four win and win. three. Yeah, yeah, they're four and three. Like. I don't know. You got to show more at some point than just that half versus Arizona State. Exactly. Um, all right. Overall on the year now, we're both exactly nine and thirteen on our picks against the spread. Um, coming Big in comeback week for yeah, me. Yeah, dude. Coming into this weekend, you were five and twelve, and I was eight and nine. Um, and you you went four and one. That's pretty damn impressive. Uh, so just fade me going forward, I guess. Um, we won't look ahead to next week quite yet. We'll save that for the midweek show. Any other kind of national games that caught your eye this weekend that you want to touch on? Uh, Illinois, Penn State, obviously. Oh, you know, number seven goes down. I mean, that was. Quite did helpful. you watch that? I did watch nine that, overtimes. Yeah. <laughs> what do What do you think about that? What do you think about the new overtime? Dude, people are hating on it, but I kind of like it. Um, I I don't really know why, and it takes longer than I wish it would um, just because teams have to cycle in and out so much. Um, but I like the idea behind it. You know, it's kind of like penalty kicks in soccer. Like you just go back exactly. and forth. Yeah. I would love, and I think I mentioned this last time, what they got to do is have both offenses on the field at the same time on opposite ends of the field going for two. That's what would make this really <laughs> impressive. Um, yeah. Do they snap the ball at the same time? Sure, yeah. 
or like just start the play clock at the same time. Maybe that's part of your maybe that's part of your thinking, right? You gotta like maybe one coach wants to like wait it out and see what his defense does for a second wow. and then snap the ball. You know, it's just it's pure chaos. That's what I would this is, to see. This is a good zag. You're going with it it needs to be even more gimmicky than it currently yes, is. Yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> just in, increase the chaos. Um but yeah, seven goes down, eight also goes down, uh, Oklahoma State um, to Iowa State. Not early an upset, as people know, uh, but Iowa State wins at home, finally gets it done in a game like that. Um, so cool on them. Yeah, I think they, what was the meme? Like they didn't cover the spread, but they rushed the field. Like, yeah, yeah. Weird. Well, we, we, we rushed the field against Wazoo in 2019, so. No, we didn't. Yeah, we did. People went on the field after that game. People went on the field, but it wasn't it wasn't a field rushing. Like people yeah, waited yeah. till after the game and then you go on the field. Yeah, I guess that's true. Um, Oklahoma almost loses to Kansas. I don't know how much of that yeah. you watched, but Caleb oh, Williams might be a lot the Heisman. Of it. Might might be it. I think he should his, be a Heisman contender. His Heisman moment is a two yard gain. Bro, that was insane. <laughs> I have never seen anything that was like insane. that. I mean, yeah. props to him, but I was—I mean, I was mad at it, obviously, because I wanted Oklahoma to lose. Um, but that—that that was fucking awesome, man. Uh, if you haven't seen that play, go check out Caleb Williams like ripping the ball out of his running back's arms, carrying it for yep. first down on fourth down. It was, it was nuts. Uh, another one that just kind of interesting to me is Wisconsin. That's a team like, mm-hmm. you know, they lost to Penn State early. Uh, they lost Notre Dame, and both those games, they kind of played better than the final score, and I thought, hey, this Wisconsin team's actually good, and then they were really bad, and they just kept shooting themselves in the foot. Really bad, but, like unwatchable yeah, bad. Yeah, right. But then they rattled off a, a 30-13 to 13 win over Purdue. Uh, mm-hmm. And, yeah, that that's also kind of potentially relevant for the playoff discussion because – Purdue beat Iowa last week 24 to 7. Not wasn't close. Yeah. And so that to suffer a loss that isn't close to begin with is almost uh you know a death nail for any playoff contender. Mm-hmm. But to do it against a team that isn't good either is really tough to overcome. Um but we'll see cuz you know, I mean at the same at the same time, if if Iowa goes on and beats Ohio State in a in a Big Ten championship, they probably go in. But um, it's interesting. Right now, Wisconsin favored by three. Actually, next oh, this coming weekend, that's going to be pure them. chaos. Yeah, it was a bad yeah. week for the Big Ten overall. I mean, yeah. Michigan won convincingly against Northwestern, and Ohio State beat the crap out of Indiana. But um, the, the upper middle class of the Big Ten took a big hit with that Penn State loss. They looked so, so bad in that game. Um, yeah. And then obviously, like, oh, maybe Purdue's pretty good. No, they're not. Uh, it, it was just a really – overall, I think it's a net negative for the Big Ten. I mean, before this weekend, people were still talking about them as maybe having two playoff spots uh, if the right results shake out. But I think it's fair to uh, – get rid of those rumors now um, unless maybe Michigan like continues to look dominant plays Ohio State really close uh, 
And if they lose, then maybe they get in as a one-loss non-division champ. We've seen that before, but um, they would have to have some help for that to happen. Uh, you mentioned Iowa State. That's a big win for them over Oklahoma State. Um, in the ACC, one that caught my eye, uh, I believe it's only ranked team, NC State, lost this week to Miami. Um, that's <laughs> just funny to me. So, yeah, man. I mean, if anything, this weekend really helped the Pac-12's playoff chances, actually. Uh, their one remaining playoff candidate, one being Oregon. Um, and we saw some, maybe some potential taken spots uh, going away with Oklahoma looking yeah. not very good against Kansas. I mean, they're still presumed in at this point, but it's it's plausible that if they play like this and they have a bad loss, then... They would then we could be in over them. Um, mm-hmm. Yep, if Oregon takes care of business, definitely. And and Oklahoma has right now three ranked games set to end the year: mm-hmm. uh, Baylor, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, back to back to back. Um, but yeah, without forecasting that far ahead, even just you know we're creeping up on a playoff rankings release. Uh, yep. Not this Tuesday, but next Tuesday. Big slate next weekend, and luckily Oregon looks to you know hopefully stay out of the fray as a big favorite against Colorado, and there's a good chance, in my mind, Oregon's going to be you know around this number seven spot when these first playoff rankings come out, depending what else happens. So it's a very good place to be. be. Yeah, yeah. Also, good place to be. A result I didn't think I'd be mentioning. Cincinnati almost lost to Navy. They did not look good in that game. Yeah. Yeah, that's big too. I think that, yeah, I think that's big. It will be really interesting to see where Cincinnati is according to the playoff committee um, because, yeah, if they fall down, uh, you know, th- there, I mean, there is a legitimate argument if Oregon finishes this thing uh, and probably the right argument that Oregon should go in over Cincinnati, I think. We're a long way from there, but. And it depends what the results are, obviously. But, I mean, at a certain point, strength of schedule, Indiana, Notre Dame not looking that good. I mean, yeah. we saw what Ohio State did to Indiana this weekend. And that's Cincinnati's second biggest win right now yeah. in a 14-point game. Yeah. So so real quick, um, let's, let's do a very quick exercise because we're creeping up on two hours and I'm about to go to work. But uh, Yeah. If the playoff rankings did come out this Tuesday, what are what do you think they would be? Um, and I think this is a fair exercise because it, it will be different from the AP. I think Georgia's the obvious one. Honestly, yeah. man, I think either Oklahoma or Bama are going to be two. I don't see Cincinnati in the top four when these rankings come out. Um, if anything, I think they'd be on par with like Michigan in the eyes of the committee. Like... I don't want to say poor Michigan because, like, screw Michigan, you know, I, I guess. Um, like, what has Michigan done to prove that they shouldn't be ahead of Cincinnati? I understand that they don't really have a big win and Cincinnati won in South Bend. Like, that's great for them. But but, but also, I'm not really convinced that Nebraska and Wisconsin aren't better than Notre Dame, by the way. That's a good point. Yeah. Like, is Michigan, yeah. is, do you genuinely think the committee is going to rank Cincy over Michigan? 
it's going to be close either way. I think you make a really good point. Uh, you know, uh, I hate to say, like, bring up the politics of it exactly, but, you know, I think that this committee's going to want to be flexible on whether they include a group of five team. And I think that the optics, if Cincinnati starts at two and they end up being left out, is pretty bad. Um, so yeah. I feel like they're going to put them in that five or six range probably and say, hey, if chaos happens, maybe we will give them a shot. But also, we're not, we're not going to just stamp your ticket if you go undefeated, Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. And I think that's right, you know? Yeah, it is. They haven't. It's like it's not their fault, times, but, but like yeah, it's you don't play anybody. I'm sorry. Like we talk about how bad the Pac-12 is all the time. The Pac-12 is still like distinguishably better top to bottom than the American Athletic Conference. That's just the nature of the yeah. beast. I mean, there's more funding. It's better recruiting. There's better teams, better coaches, etc. Um, not across the board, obviously, but in general, like. Right. This is the way it is, you know? Yeah, and, and I mean, especially, like, the thing that hurts them is Indiana and Notre Dame, where those are your signature wins, and both those teams have underachieved. Yes, yes. Preseason expectations. You know, it's not a top 20 and a top 10 win. It just isn't. It's a number 50 team and a number, you know, 20 team, 15 maybe. Mm -hmm. Um so top so, four though, when the, it's not good enough. If the committee rankings yeah. made a top four this week, or say if the playoffs started this week, which is how they do their rankings, anyways, I think it's mm -hmm. got to be Georgia, Bama, Ohio State. Well, I even I even sorry Oklahoma, Georgia, Bama, Oklahoma, and then that fourth spot is still like up for debate in my mind. Um, the Oregon Ohio State debate again. I'm, I promised we wouldn't go into that discussion, and we're not going to. Um, <laughs> I think both of those teams have a rightful claim for that fourth spot. I think Cincinnati has a rightful claim for it. I think even Michigan and Michigan State right now have rightful claims for it as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I can see all those teams. I, I don't even think that Oklahoma should be put in another tier from the, all those teams. I think. Really? Nor. And, dude, I think it's Georgia and then it's about seven that I evaluate pretty similarly um yeah so yeah so I like mean, bama, and right now's ap is is what you're talking about yeah exactly i mean bama is they're they have a very high potential right and same with ohio state like they're teams that i would actually like say could beat georgia not you know i'd have georgia favored for sure but like i'm not plausible put i'm not putting the house down on georgia necessarily i'm i'm a little more cautious um but bama's struggled man they haven't looked that good straight up they mm -hmm. they were really close to losing to florida they did lose to a&m and they didn't you know they didn't destroy tennessee like they should have they pulled away in the end yes but look that's a that's a one possession game you know into the second half and they trailed early um yeah, I don't know. I, I I mean, we're holding them to the Georgia standard when we say about when we talk about this. Uh, it just wouldn't surprise me if Bama dropped a game to 
to Auburn, maybe to Arkansas, to LSU. L- Dude, LSU would happen. be hilarious. Oh my god. Yeah, I know it. it I mean, I I'm not predicting it, obviously, and I you know Bama will be a big favorite, and in all likelihood they will win by a lot. But that's what everyone said before the Texas A&M yeah, game. The also. Iron Bowl is always losable, and especially this year, like Auburn isn't terrible. They're like a, if we're being completely honest, they're like a top 15 team. I don't even know where they are in the rankings, but they should probably be a yeah, top they're, 15 team. They're 18 right now, but yeah, I, mean, I, I would think take that's Auburn over right. like Baylor, you know. Uh, yeah. Probably Wake Forest, <laughs> Kentucky. Um, so anyways, we'll, we'll see what happens with that, but it's definitely f- some food for thought. Um, I wish we had a way of like asking some listeners like, playoffs and sort of aggregating it but i will just put out a call like give tweet us your playoff rankings um what you think they should be is oregon in or out um if they're out you know five six seven where are we at um do you believe we should get in over ohio state maybe this is something we'll touch on well actually something we will touch on on the tuesday show um we can start sort of digging into that discussion a little more but yeah let us know that that's definitely some food for thought for us uh also just let us know any other questions you'd like to hit on on the tuesday show um we want to be you know we created this to be a more like inclusive podcast for fans so uh hit us up with anything you want us to talk about 100 percent. yep anything else you got reed no i think um I'm I'm looking forward to doing yet another rewatch pulling more out from this ucla game that was pretty fun mm-hmm. and talking again on Tuesday, uh, getting excited for what the final stretch of the season could be, or at least the opportunity it presents for sure. Definitely. Couldn't have said it better. Um, all right then for Reed, for myself, Charlie, uh, we're signing off. Enjoy the rest of your day and go ducks. Go ducks. <laughs>